Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing. Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Composer and pianist Rachel Grimes is heralded as one of American independent music's few truly inspired technicians. That's said by Wire magazine. Talented beyond measure, she is a composer, an arranger, and a Kentuckian. She's a member of the Louisville-based band King's Daughters and Sons and a founding member of the groundbreaking indie rock chamber ensemble, Rachel's, with whom she toured and released six albums. In the last two years, her greatest accomplishment has been The Way Forth, a Southern folk opera blending historical fact, memoir, photos, and film that is extraordinary in its scope and depth. And we want to welcome Rachel Grimes to our Think Humanities podcast. Rachel, welcome. Thank you, Bill. So good to speak with you today. And before we talk about The Way Forth, uh, which, again, I'm going to be a a big fan here before uh, our podcast is over and tell people that they have to to see it and uh, listen to it and uh, absorb it. It, It's wonderful. But that's just uh, that's a tease. But let me just talk to you about your background. Um, The music that you played, uh, I read or saw, uh, heard an interview with you, uh, which started when you were very, very young. Yes. My, my father played the piano, his mother, her mother, and it goes back very far. There's lots of music in, in my dad's family for many years. And, um, my grandmother had two pianos, matching pianos in the living room. And so, you know, everybody played music and could play at least, you know, the melody, if not the whole thing. And sometimes there'd be six or eight people sitting at the pianos playing along. Um, there were clarinetists, drummers. My brother was a drummer and singer. My mother uh, played piano once in a while and a lot of singers in her family. So it was just very much in my blood. And um, I, I mean, I don't even remember not playing the piano. I know I was, you know, uh, like 11 or 12 months old when I got my first little toy piano and I would sit with my dad at the piano and watch him play. And, you know, one step at a time, I, I picked up on things. So I learned a lot by ear those first few years, of course. So it was uh, destiny, if you will, that you were to become a, a, a musician and an accomplished musician. Yes, it was certainly in the bloodlines, that's for sure. <laughs> what uh, music did you grow up on? What style? What, what, uh, what genre? Oh, there was no single genre. Um, you know, we all love music. And, and um, I wasn't really thinking about genre for many years, I, you know, because we had all kinds of records and we had albums. I had an um, eight-track player in my room. And um, I tell people that the sort of first three things that I fell in love with were so different. And it, and it says a lot about my musical taste, even still to this day. Um, I bought a collection of Motown girl groups called Supergirls, 
and uh, the Wiz soundtrack. I loved Quincy Jones and um, a wonderful um, Ina Klein and Knock music by Mozart um, that, you know, was like a chamber music recording. So I, even from a really young age, I think I was about seven or eight when I bought those, you know, with my saved up money. Um, you know, I've just always loved a variety of music. And my my family played a lot of like popular tunes and old old standards so I always was listening to to those. Um, there was a lot of pop music um, also, you know, and um, so it, the variety of music has always been a standard in my life and it still is. I, I'm just, I love most music that's out there. <laughs> Were you playing uh, music uh, all through high school? Yes, yes. I started um, taking piano lessons in first grade and I took them through through my senior year and then went to music school for, um, you know, a bachelor's degree. I was in choruses and I joined my first rock band when I was about 15 or 16. And so again, that's sort of a, a life pattern. You know, I'm, I'm usually in several different ensembles at once and they're usually different vocal or different, uh, instrumentation. So I've been in acapella singing groups that did Renaissance music and I'm still in a rock band, you know, so I do a lot of different um, kinds of music. And, and fortunately over the last, you know, eight to 10 years, I've been writing more large scale music, orchestra music. And um, it's a thrill to get to play with a huge symphony orchestra. So. When you were in school uh, for your bachelor's degree, you may have played or continued to play the the uh, variety of music, but you were um, you were learning to be a composer. Am I correct about that? Yes, I was um, focusing on composition, and um, I, piano was my was my main focus for for instrument study. Um, you know, I really had not written anything substantial down on paper before I went to college. So I had a lot to learn and I really don't feel like I, you know, I barely got started after I graduated. So, I mean, I put together a senior recital, but I really felt that I was still in the very early stages of learning what it was. What is my voice? What did I want to write? How did I want to write? So tell me uh, at the same time about your your other music, um, the formation of the band Rachel's, uh, a couple of other bands that, that you were in. At one time, did you think, uh, and you went on the road, You're, uh, you, you traveled um, a, a lot of the, uh, the world outside of the United States. Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, being on the road with your music, and was that going to be a, a, a career for you for a while? A, well, you know, we all have our dreams and plans, uh, but I, I think I knew even then that the feasibility of, of being an independent performer was 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 slim at best. Um, you know, I, I went to get the music degree because it's what I loved and I wanted to make a career out of music somehow. But it wasn't incredibly obvious to me at the time how to do that. And um you know, I was learning composition. I was learning uh, the classical piano repertoire. I was going to band practice and, um, you know, recording albums with uh, first the band Hula Hoop and then Rachel's. Uh, I really didn't uh, become part of the Rachel's ensemble until after I had graduated, but it was about the same time I graduated. So, you know, I was just trying a lot of things. I made um, soundtracks for live theater. Um it, 
you know, all the while I was working all kinds of other jobs, bookkeeping, restaurant work, babysitting, you know, <laughs> whatever, whatever um, needed to happen to, to pay the bills. Because, you know, even playing a lot of gigs, I played solo piano gigs and weddings and things. Um, you know, it's a it's a juggling act to to make a living. So I, I wasn't sure I knew what I loved. Uh, and I loved playing lots of music and creating music for new settings like theater, dance and um, film. But I, it was just um, a mystery in many ways as to how to make that work over time. And, uh, you know, so it's just a very gradual process of making, you know, contacts and, and being a part of new projects, getting to know people. And, um, you know, now it feels a lot more familiar to me what that process is. That's <laughs> a while ago. So it's a life, life learning. Was Kentucky always your, your base of operations, Louisville? Yes. Um, I actually live about an hour north of Louisville now, out in the in Carroll County in the countryside. But um, I've always lived in Kentucky, and and really, you know, I've spent substantial time in in New York and Boston and and other places to to work on projects. Uh, but this is always where I've wanted to live. And touring, you know, is a wonderful way to see the world and to meet people in different cultures, um, and to share music and and art, um, and then come home. You know, so I I've always felt pretty great about that. I love Kentucky. The origins of uh, the way forth, which you have described as a, I believe, a, a folk opera. I, I think there's a, a fascinating story about the way it it came about. I venture to say that it wasn't intentional. You didn't sit down uh, one day and say, I'm going to write a folk opera. Uh, a lot of it came from some things you were dealing with in your personal life uh, with your, with your parents, um, and especially, uh, I think, with your with your father, which uh, if younger people haven't already gotten to the point where they're going down to the basement to clean out their, their parents' um, memorabilia and, and junk, let's admit it, um, they will get to that point. Or in, in your case, uh, finding boxes of, of photos and that sort of thing. So tell us that, tell us that journey that you went on and how that sort of led to what we're going to talk about today. Well, as you, as you describe and, and may have experienced, yeah, it's a, it's a process. And, um, you know, both of my parents independently were needing more care and needing to move. And my brother and I were helping them. My husband was helping. And, um, you know, it, it takes place over a long time. You have to help them get organized and um, move their physical things and, and obviously go through uh, and sort what, what, um, do you want to keep? What do you want to move on? And um, so it's a real process. And sometimes uh, you can't do it all at once. So um, my mom had had really gotten everything organized. She was always organized. She was a legal secretary. So everything was in good order. But she just had so many photos and letters and things that I some of which I'd really never seen. And um, so those were wonderful things I could ask her about. Um, you know, uh, some of her early boyfriends or um, places where, you know, like her, her great grandparents photos of her, you know, Virginia relatives from the mid 1800s, or uh, an autobiography that her mother had written about her own teaching career. So wonderful things in there that just always lit up my imagination. And um, in the case of my dad, there was a lot more <laughs> uh, volume, let's say, because he had been, um, saving a lot of things. And he also inherited a lot of things from his parents and probably from their parents. So there were multiple generations of 
of letters and documents and photos and all kinds of stuff and my dad's collection and it took a lot longer and so actually what what I would say is sort of the initial moment with the way forth was in um, probably the spring of 2016 I was trying to chip away at a couple of these I mean, I've got dozens of these uh, plastic bins full of all these things. So I was trying to bring some order to some of the photos and ask my dad over the phone, you know, questions about who was who. So um, it just it just seemed to take shape that there were these stories and there were these connections that I was was eager to know more about. And especially the lives of the women. I was really interested in the women's stories in part because you know, in your families, um, a lot of times women are overlooked in the stories of great achievements and the newspaper articles that were written about people or the letters that were exchanged, you know, the women just were sort of passed over. But, you know, in my dad's things was a stack of these letters and postcards from his grandmother to her sister. And it was like a whole nother world, you know, um, and, and that, that sort of, maybe opaque or hidden layer of women's lives was, was something I was really interested in exploring. And, you know, I hadn't written many pieces uh, that had uh, words or lyrics, but so many of these things that I was looking at had words. Um, they, they also really um, were connected to history and very important historical points. So it just seems like stories started taking place in my mind. And, you know, as with anything for me, there's generally some sort of atmospheric or, or musical um, accompaniment. So <laughs> one thing led to another. And, and sometime then spring of 2016, I was writing songs, um, fa- you know, focused on these particular moments or characters. We're going to learn more about uh, the way forth uh, from Rachel Grimes uh, right after we pause for a word from Spalding University. The Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing offers students intellectual rigor, emotional support, affordability, flexibility, and community at the world's first certified compassionate university. From certificate to terminal degree, the programs at Spalding School of Writing foster lifelong writing habits and help you forge a lasting writing community. Learn more at spalding.edu slash school of writing or email school of writing at spalding.edu. Rachel Grimes wrote inspired by a treasure trove of family documents, photos and letters spanning several generations She began in 2016 to research some of the more vexing questions that came to the surface about these people, places, and events. Rachel Grimes, um, would it be, uh, I know you're the the composer, the the writer, are you the author? Well, I haven't really worried about that. I guess I'm the creator. Uh, You know, I wrote lyrics for some of the songs. I wrote the music. I did the arrangements and I ended up directing a lot of the film uh, film shoots and edits. Um, It's really more of an organic thing. So creator maybe is is a word I would use for for the creation of this project. Part of part of what's so important to know about this project is it, it was one thing at a time, you know, and and I um, and then it started to layer up. And a lot of the lyrics, actually, um, the content 
is not written by me. Um, in the case of uh, the song Patsy and Sarah, those are um, the words of two women um, who uh, the, the songs really are a window into their lives. And so it's the words in their own in their own writing. So I got permission to use these, um, you know, clips from people's lives. Also, the, the Red House School um, is all of my grandmother's um, lyrics from her teaching days, and I edited it down, you know, um, for the purpose of the song. So in some cases, I did write lyrics, like for Got a Hold of Me or um, There Is No Other. Um, but in other cases, I was deriving some of the material from the original uh, sources. And in End of Dominion, I did a lot of sort of um, quoting and cutting and pasting of various historical, um, religious, and uh, like newspaper articles, various things. It's a real um, journey through time through through the writings of other voices. So all the lyrics are not mine. So I, that's part of the project to me that was really central and a new experiment for me. Do you remember the moment when uh, you were looking into a plastic bin or rifling through some papers where you thought for the first time that because of your musical background, this could, this could be what now has turned into a folk opera, which is titled The Way Forth. Well, as I mentioned, you know, there were, there were several key things that I started with and Red House School was one of them. It's my grandmother's um, journey through her own life of teaching in rural schools in Madison County. Um, and, and also in Harlan County. And, and in reading her very simple and straightforward biography, it also is this parallel of the 20th century and the development of public education. And it, it really is a window into her voice. And um, I knew that that was an early choice to, ha to have as a song. Um, then there were other things that, you know, later I, I realized, oh, you know, this is this is really pulling me in and the words were leading the creative process to, to, to write music, to go with, um, with a sentiment. So um, there were documents in um, my father's things that even predated this, the state of Kentucky. They uh, were land deeds from what was then Virginia. And um, in 1824, there was a bill of sale for a woman and her three children Susan and her three children. Um, she was enslaved to uh, my Newland family relatives in Lincoln County, Kentucky. And again, you know, to hold an original document like that in your hand that you know is is a family document is it's it's it, for me it stopped me in my tracks. It's it's so emotional to think about um, how close this is to us. It's you know, 1824 sounds so long ago on one hand, but it's really not that many generations back. And I was so curious about Susan and her children. And, you know, enslaved people were not even allowed to have last names. So there's so little we know about her and what came of her. And so I, uh, I wrote a song called Bill of Sale, and it doesn't even use any lyrics at all. It's just the sound of, of pain, the, the pain of the community. Um, and the only words actually said are no more, which is um, an effort to show that the community is in pain, knowing about this legacy of the, the, the suffering caused by slavery, and that we, we must stop it. And, and that this 
this feeling, the deep feeling is, you know, you can't even put words to, to how horrible um, this, this part of our history is. didn't uh, and you just demonstrated shy away from controversial uh, unpleasant uncomfortable subjects um i read oh. <laughs> that um you didn't go out of your way as this uh, uh review uh, said to downplay a polite history so you did write about uh, slavery uh the expulsion and murder of native americans uh, the subjugation or, or subjection of women. Uh, so, um, and, and all of this, did, did all of this come from y- your family papers that you found? Yes. And also in the journey to understand various um, sort of inherited behaviors. Um, you know, I, I come from a long line of Kentuckians on multiple branches of my family trees. Um, you know, many of my family members go back to the settlement of Fort Logan and Fort Boonesboro, which were the first white settlements in Kentucky. And so I've always heard a little bit of history, you know, here and there about those settlements and about the Daniel Boone expedition. Um, and the more I read, um, you know, especially from the Lyman Draper papers, which were, were the original biographical um, materials from that era, the more I, I knew I wasn't reading the whole story. And that's because, you know, at the time, the only history that was recorded was the history that, that a privileged white man would choose to record. And that would, in general, mean that it would only be directed at or for the people in charge. So <laughs> if you were part of a, a group or if you were a, a supporting member of a group, you, you were ignored and not even mentioned. And so, you know, there were two women actually on the, the March 1775 Boone expedition that are rarely mentioned in any texts or any museum pieces. And I, I just wanted to know what their experience was about. You know, it's not like they were sitting around on that whole journey and painting their nails, you know, they were working too. But 
and so many so many people are just not named they're they're left out of the history books and i i saw the pattern in my own family but i also saw it in the the history as i was trying to sort of understand more about the origins of kentucky uh, the early days of Madison and Lincoln counties, where almost all of my family's from for hundreds of years now. Um, so, you know, I didn't have anything to lose looking it right in the face. I, I, you know, I wasn't interested in making a piece that was flattering. Um, and I wasn't interested really in making a piece that was destructive either. I just wanted to take a look and I wanted to know more about the complexity of these different points in time for these different women and these these chapters of our history and our development to, to where we are now. How difficult was it to uh, research some of this material that has long ago been um, not uh, written properly or correctly? For example, the, the two women that you mentioned, were you able to go beyond just their mention uh, to uh, a little bit more about them? And how did you do that? Well, um, Thank you for asking that. It's been actually a huge part of the last couple of years, especially. I, I did initial research um, with the assistance of a couple of different books that I stumbled on in the um, gift shop at Fort Boonesboro. Uh, one is called Women of Boonesboro by Harry Enoch and Ann Crabb. They are both Richmond, Kentucky uh, or area, Winchester um, area residents, and, and they put together a, a book focused entirely on the very small slivers of information we have about the women that were uh, part of that initial settlement there at Boonesboro. And I, I, I got that book because of one of the relatives I knew was living there at the time. And I, I stumbled across the story of Dolly, who was enslaved to the Calloway family. And as it turns out, Dolly is one of those two women. Um, I had to read a lot of different things. I, I read a really great um, book on Daniel Boone that was edited by uh, Murray State um, writer Ted Ballou, um, and his editorials are about a third of the book. And in the editorials, I, I could see so many new directions to go to look for more information that was not... Um, the traditional point of view. So it, it was a lot of my spare time, you know, over the last four years is just trying to read um, more books on that era, on the development of Central Kentucky. But the, the discovery of and continued research into Dolly and her descendants has been a huge part of what I've been doing the last couple of years. Actually, after I finished the album, um, there is a song called Dolly. Um, I, I tried to write what I thought would have been an, an interior thought that she might have had at the 1840 celebration, first celebration of Fort Boonesboro. She was asked to come with her, um, with Keziah Calloway, who was the daughter of the woman that had enslaved Dolly. Presumably Dolly was still enslaved in her 80s when she went to that celebration. So I wrote uh, a song about that, and then I've continued to research her descendants, Frederick Hart, his son Henry Hart, who is an incredibly uh, well-regarded violinist, composer, and um, published, uh, published composer and band leader. Um, and I'm actually working with a couple of different organizations to, to continue to try to tell their story, because it's an incredible chapter of Kentucky uh, musical history and legacy. So trying to continue to read about all these little um, slivers of, of, of history and, and particulars that have related to this project. So, 
Well, what I've learned from you today, uh, this goes far beyond uh, a musical performance. Uh, you're, you're teaching Kentucky history and uh, genealogy, and uh, you're really, uh, I think, underlining a lot of what we're hearing today in our social justice movement about white patriarchy and not telling uh, the whole story or being taught a a variation of of the of the true story um mm -hmm. and and that's that's what is being revealed and um the the curtains being pulled back the way forth is it available for listening but uh, what about performing and all of that just tell us about that first Sure. Uh, well, we were incredibly um, excited to be able to premiere the work on in a full scale with the Louisville Orchestra in February of 2019. Um, the work is originally for a chamber ensemble and choir, but um, Teddy Abrams and the Louisville Orchestra invited me to orchestrate it for them. So we had this wonderful way to kick off the project. Um, the chamber version's been uh, performed a couple of times and probably will be in 21 or 22. Um, the album was released in November of 2019, so that is available all over in whatever form you like. We have double vinyl, CD, and digital, so you can hear the album on Spotify, on my band camp. Um, it's, it's widely available, and um, I have several videos that we've been editing of individual songs, so you can see a little bit of what the film looks and feels like we there is a film that is part of the live performance so um, we've been putting together and releasing periodically um, videos that go with that so all of that is out in the world <laughs> we'll link to your website where some extraordinary videos of the filmmaker was wonderful and uh, the music is is quite touching so what uh, very quickly what is your next project well, I'm actually in, uh, waist deep in, in working with Roots 101 African American Museum in downtown Louisville. They're a brand new museum on Museum Row on West Main Street. Um, and we are working on an exhibit about Dolly and about her um, descendants, then in particular their, their musical legacy. So um, we're, that's why, you know, I'm continuing to research her. I'm, I've actually found some descent, some live um, descendants in the Boston area. Um, so I, I recently found an incredible uh, newspaper article and photograph of Dolly's uh, great granddaughter, Myrtle Hart. She was a classical harp player. And I found the only photo I've ever seen of her um, just a couple of months ago. So I've still been working on this aspect of the project because it's it's still alive. And, and I keep discovering more. Um, I, I really feel like having followed her story is is a is a another chapter of the way forth. So um, part of what we're doing, I'm, I'm with the filmmaker Catherine Axley, um, is we're we're working on um, what I'm calling film interludes. They're more documentary style, and uh, so we're we're just about finished with those. And they investigate in a in a little bit more of a documentary kind of approach. Um, this this history with um, indigenous people here in Kentucky, the legacy of of um, slavery and African Americans in in Kentucky, and um, also looking at sort of what is the point of view of of present day women about the history in Kentucky, and just you know more casual conversations. So we're working on that, and I hope to have that. Um, sort of more documentary style uh, 
follow-up. So I'm still in the project. Yeah, fascinating. Rachel Grimes, The Way Forth. Uh, as we go out today, uh, Rachel, we'll put some of the music on the uh, end of this uh, conversation, but then uh, ask them also to go to your website and take a look at all of that. And uh, good luck. I think um, I see uh, many opportunities to talk with you again and connect Kentucky Humanities with the work that you're doing. So thank you very much for being with us. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. 
Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.